0: The Be Here Now Network invites you to join Jack Kornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors for a two-year mindfulness meditation teacher certification program. Get the training you need to guide others in their journey with a powerful online training course and in-person teaching events. To learn more, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com GetCertified. We receive a small percentage of however much you pay for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishnadas's excellent talks.
1: One time I asked... uh, uh, a woman named Siddhi Ma, who was one of Maharaji's greatest devotees. I said, Ma, should I meditate? I was feeling guilty. Guilty? Hi, guilty over there. I was feeling guilty. I thought, Ma, should I meditate? And she said, "Krishnas, in the 40 years that I was with Maharaji, he never once asked me to meditate. He's supposed to be a spiritual dude, right? 40 years. He never asked her to meditate. And she said, Maharaji said that meditation it was a, a natural state that would arise as you ripened into it. It wasn't something that you had to force yourself into through your own personal will, which is really interesting because everybody who comes to the West and is teaching meditation and charging money <laughs> is hoping to get students so they can pay their bills and they're hoping that, that what they're teaching you is true. And of course they are, but it's a subtle thing. A lot, most, it, it's almost guaranteed that if you sit down and try to meditate And do this practice, do a practice very intensely, pride is going to arise. You're going to get the ego of a meditator. Now, why would you trade one shitty ego for another one? (laughs) There's no, no sense in that. But, on the other hand, just like I've said before about the chanting practice, every effort that we make in that direction is planting a seed as well. So, one has to pay attention to the way one does a practice. If you try too hard, you're just going to get hard. So you have to find a balance between making the effort and also at the same time leaving, as Krishna says, the fruit of your efforts to me, which means you do what you do, and you do the best you can do, but the results of what you do are up to whoever and whatever. Right? You can do something, but you never know what what's gonna happen from that. What what the the results of your actions are gonna be. Sometimes they'll be the way you thought they would be, sometimes they'll be they'll work out another way. But what Krishna says in the Gita is that you make your best effort, but don't do it with the idea of what you're going to get from that effort. And then you can make your best effort, because you're no longer thinking about the future, what's going to happen if this works, and blah, blah, blah. So it's the same way with practice. And then Ma said to me, she said, what do you like to do? Chant or meditate? Duh. (laughs) But you know, i got to admit, it never occurred to me that chanting, which I love to do, be good for me my mother never told me that (laughs) don't do that if it makes you feel good (laughs) I don't know about you but that was my house so I mean I mean I knew I, I knew it was good for me I knew it was a spiritual practice I knew I'd like to do it but the way she said that I went oh you know it was very interesting it was like a good housekeeping seal of approval. It's like oh chanting is it's enough it's good it's the way it is it's good. So and there's there's in, in Buddhism for instance in vajrayana Buddhism there's the most advanced practice is called zokchan or mahamudra which is the natural state cultivating natural awareness with no effort to meditate. So it's meditation which is non-meditation so you're trying but you're not really trying it's it's very hard to do you're just so where we are what we're starting to do is just trying to gather ourselves in a little bit just get somewhere within 500 feet of our ears you know just somewhere just somewhere near where we are and start to cultivate the ability to pay attention the first step in meditation is what is samatha or concentration practice which means trying to bring the mind to one point but forget about it you know you can't it's almost impossible to get up in the morning go to work come home and find some time to bring your mind to one point ain't gonna happen it takes time and it takes takes making space in your life for that to happen I mean, you can do practice every day, and you can live your life, but you should go somewhere to retreats, take a week off, a weekend and something, and really do some intense practice every once in a while. It shifts things around. It's a very good thing to do. In Burma, when people go on vacation, they go to monasteries and meditate. At least they used to. It's very interesting. That's their idea of a hot time. I don't know. So, Maharaj said over and over again, a million times, Ram Nam Karnase Sub Pura from repeating the names, these names, what they call the names of God in India everything is brought to fullness, to completion. This is a very deep statement. From this practice, we're ripening ourselves. We're ripening ourselves. And we find that our lives change very gradually around us, without us even noticing. Some of the stuff that is difficult and, and not necessary for us, to kind of disappears. Just leaves our life. And other stuff that's helpful to us shows up. And it's all from turning within. And whatever practice it is, whatever path, whatever religion, whatever tripus it's all it all lands up in the same place. Right where you are. There's nowhere else you're ever going to be except right where you are, right here. Today, tomorrow, next week, 10,000 lifetimes from now. When you ask yourself, where am I? Right here. So to get really here means to be able to let go of all the thoughts and emotions and the stuff that goes goes through and pulls us away. It's simple. It ain't easy. But that's what it is. And everybody can do it. You can do it because you're already here. You just kind of... You know what a schmear is? (laughs) It's like a piece of cream cheese put on a bagel and schmeared. That's where our brains are. You know, we're just a schmear. So we're just trying to gather it up, get it on the bagel right in the right place. My Uncle Jimmy was a king. My Uncle Did You ever see the movie, um, Casino? You ever miss Casino? Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro? Robert De Niro was my Uncle Jimmy. <laughs> my Uncle Jimmy set the odds for the mafia, for the betting on the whole East Coast. He lived in Brooklyn. He had five brothers. My grandfather was one of his brothers. And, uh... So one day, Jimmy disappeared. <laughs> and they, they couldn't find him anywhere. So they asked around. They asked, you know, people that he knew. And somebody said, you know, he went to Miami. <laughs> so all five brothers got in a car and they drove to Miami. They were just going to drive around trying to find him. They didn't know what to do. So they're driving around Miami. And my grandfather was driving. And he goes through a stop sign. Ah, there was a motorcycle cop. They p- pulls him over. A license and registration. Yes, sir. He said, uh, "What are you doing down here?" He l- he's looking at the uh, looks at like says, Kagel, huh? That's your name?" Yes, sir. What are you doing down here? Well, we we're all brothers. We drove down from Brooklyn to try to find uh, our brother who uh, seems to have disappeared. Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> he he led my grandfather and his brothers through the streets of Miami right to my uncle Jimmy's house. He was down there a few weeks. He already had the cops on the payroll. This is my lineage. <laughs> ah. I I went down to see him when I was a kid. I was down in Miami visiting my other grandparents and I, I went over to his house in the middle of the day, the l the, the shades were down, you know? And every he let me in, he kept looking around, he would look out, peek out the shades, everything. It's the last time I ever saw him. <laughs> oh God, what a family. And Maharaji there we were sitting with this guy, right? In this little temple in the Himalayas. He's sitting on a cot, a little like wood bench, and we're just sitting around him <laughs> like this, all the time. We could not take our eyes off of him. You would you know you know how when you're in really when you fall in love? Anybody ever fall in love? <laughs> you know. You know how it is like when you first see that person, it's like the first like two days or something like that. It's like, <laughs> you know, this is what it was like 24-7 for everybody who was there. You couldn't, your eyes, and there's all these, you know, the scriptures always talk about how, the devotional scriptures talking about how when somebody would see Ram, their eyes wouldn't leave Rom. Their bodies would want to go away, but their eyes couldn't take. They wouldn't leave because of the beauty, and the, the, and it seemed like there was all the beauty in the whole universe was wrapped up in that little blanket, and you just your eyes just did not want to go anywhere else. You plugged in, you know, because you couldn't believe what you were seeing, and yet you know you were seeing it. Oh man. Ah then, you know, in case you think that's just so great, which it was, think of how it felt when that body died. And then all that love just disappears. And there's nowhere you can find it anymore, except in your own heart, which is the last place you ever want to look. That's when the shit hits the fan. And then you have to do it. I mean, either that or you live, in you know, an unfulfilled. That's where I started chanting. I was lost. I was gone. When he left the body, I, I said, big, most of me said, fuck it, I'm out of here. Next. And I just lived. I, I, just, I never thought I'd be happy. I never thought there was any chance that I would want to be alive. You know, and it got worse and worse and worse and then I was standing in my room I had a place on 82nd Street and I, all of a sudden I walked into the living room and I, all of a sudden I knew that if I did not sing with people it was very much with people not alone in my room if I did not sing with people that I would never, never be able to clean out all the dark shadows in my own heart. And I saw that it was only that stuff that was causing me suffering. So what was I going to do? I had to decide whether I wanted to live or die. (sighs) So here we are really you know this is what I have to do to save my own ass this is what I do if I don't do this I sink. I have to sing and I sing more at home now more when I'm alone than I used to but there's nothing like singing with a group of people there's nothing like everybody getting together uh, to try to enter into this very sacred loving space together that is very inspiring That's why I want to keep doing it. And that's why we're going to start selling everything we can. (laughs) Nah. (laughs) You know, I I love it. People think because I'm semi-famous in a small little pool. People think I'm rich, you know. I love it when people think. And I, I... I have to tell them this story. When I was in the jungle in the old days, uh, in <clears> the <throat> mid-80s, I was hanging out in the jungle with a very old yogi. At the time, he was 163 years old. Really, true. And now he's still alive. So he must be, what, 180 something. And this guy once said to me, he said, you know, he, was, he was very sweet. I mean, you can't believe how sweet these guys are. He we was just hanging around. He, he looks at me one day, he said, oh, you remember when Lincoln was shot? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, oh, oh, oh it's okay. I—I, I, It's okay. We, we read about it in the papers, he said. Okay. So, uh, anyway, so one day we're sitting with him, and, um, and he looks at me all like, he goes like, hmm. It's like seeing something. And he says to me, you're going to be famous. This is back in the 80s, right? I wasn't doing nothing. He said, you're going to be famous. So I looked up at him, and I said, and Rich. He laughed. He laughed. He came nose to nose, eye to eye with me, right? And he goes, famous. (laughs) Too much. He was really something. Oh, you know, hanging out with these kind of people, it's just, you can't believe. It's just so amazing, you know. We don't see enough of that here, you know, in, a, in the West. We don't see. I mean, I'm mean i not saying people don't, there aren't people like that, but we don't we don't trip over them every day. Like in India, boom, you know, oh, another one. It's like that. And some of these Rinpoche, some of these lamas, are just so cool, you know. I once there was a wonderful uh, lama that I really loved, and I took some teachings from him and. Uh, I decided I was going to sing for him one day. So, and he was with the, he was a Dzogchen master, which is uh, one of these meditation masters who probably hasn't had a thought for like five hundred lifetimes, you know, <laughs> one of those things. Unless he just wanted to go slumming or something like that. <laughs> anyway, so I decided I was going to sing to him. So I started to sing this prayer that I sing every day, and I've been singing for like you know three thousand years every day. And I sang one line, and my mind completely completely blank i mean i just and i opened my eyes and he looked at me and smiled and he kind of laughed he said is that all (laughs) you know you can't buy that you can't buy that it's just too great you know
0: Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I haven't seen you in a long time. Since you've been traveling around, all this since I haven't seen you since the old days and all, and now you're off all over the world, I just wondered if you'd had any really interesting stories or story to share about bringing this into other culture or, you know, being in some exotic faraway place. I kind of like those stories (laughs) where the epiphany of cultures mixing and...
1: Everywhere I go, it's the same people. You know, it's exactly the same. Um, That's the amazing part. You know, I mean Kiev. Right, talking to a a group of Ukrainian people, and it's the same stuff, same questions, the same stuff, everything. You know, it's just so weird. And uh, it's 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 such a great experience to just go everywhere and just find everybody wants the same thing. Everybody has the same problems, you know? It's just amazing, really amazing. Everybody has their own version of stuff to get to deal with, you know? I sang in Sarajevo, right? And in the building I sang in, there was uh, a, plast- a, a, a plexiglassed hole in the wall, right? A huge hole from a shell. You know, uh, you know, Sarajevo was under siege for like ten years. The Serbs had surrounded the town on, around in the mountains, and for ten years they lobbed shells in all day. And they had snipers. You couldn't go out. You couldn't get food. You had no electricity. No water. Half the buildings were destroyed. It was just extraordinary, and the people were so great, you know, so beautiful. But there you are, sitting, singing, and you're looking out, and you're going, "You know, what is that? You know, that's with shell." They let they, so they could remember what it was like. It's amazing. Uh, so many experiences, like, it. yeah.
0: know if you remembered the words from Blind Faith. Uh-huh. The board, I think not blind. Is it called Blind Faith?
1: Or book you of? mean uh, Presence of the Lord huh? by Blind Faith? Blind yeah. Blind Faith's the group. The
0: first, the one, or the second?
1: I've only, I've, I've only, I have, I have, i have i have finally found a way to live, you know, just like I never did before. Yeah, it's a great song. I sang that once in LA, really stupidly. Today. Huh?
0: Not today. <laughs>
1: Not today, no. Because he was talking about heroin. You know that, right? What are you going to do? It's a good song anyway. Even without heroin. Might be better with heroin. I have no idea. But I couldn't tell you about that part of it. Okay, we're working our way across. Go ahead. Step on people. Go ahead maybe just pass it or something there's a few people on that side hi where are you so my question is about um, I guess karma and I think growing up with the religious idea of God how God is like outside and this kind of like personified thing that you know, mm-hmm. protecting me, or if I did this, then God will do this, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. I always wonder how they know that. Well, you know, okay, so, go ahead. well, now, is that kind of going away in place of creating good karma? Yeah, you know, <laughs> not, not really. You know, when you talk about creating good karma, you're not doing that because you're afraid of bad karma. It's not, it's not a, a guilt, shame, fear kind of thing. You know, one time a bunch of Christian uh, ministers and went to visit a Dalai Lama. And they were having great talks. For, and one of them said, Your Holiness, what, what, what's your understanding of sin? Right? And he he's kind of thought about it for a second. Then he said, it's kind of a Christian thing, isn't it? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Can you imagine? He doesn't live in a world where he's afraid of that he's sinned and he's evil and he has to make up for it. There's nothing like that in his head. Karma's not about sin. The, the word for sin in Sanskrit, in Hindi, is "pop," which means burning. It's not n- evil. It's not bad. It's just hot. <laughs> you know, you do stuff that burns. And when you don't do stuff that burns, you don't burn. It's not that you're bad or doing bad things and you're a bad person, and you have to do good because you're bad and you're going to be punished. And we're already punished. We're here in Manhattan. You saw Escape from New York, didn't you? We're in. We're here. So yeah, this is you know this is. Um, this is what religions have come to um, in, many, in many ways, what they're doing. It's about controlling people. Why? Because they want money. Why? Because they want power. Why? Because they get off on that shit. And it's a shame, but that's what it's come to. Not that there's not a lot of good stuff also, and good people as religious figures and stuff like that, but for the most part, you find that it's a very controlling atmosphere. This new pope is fantastic. He really, he's cleaning a lot of stuff out. Seems very cool. But the whole thing is built on, on, on shame and fear and guilt, you know? And if you go to the, the East, it's not like that. You know, it's, it's not like that at all. It's so-called East, Eastern religion. That's. I mean, the first book I ever read about this stuff was uh, some book about Buddhism, and it said, "Buddha said, you know, it was up to us to work out our own enlightenment." And I thought, fantastic. This not not that I thought I could, but at least it wasn't up to somebody else, right? That I'm already fucked before I start, right? This is this is this is this is this is, this is the kali yuga. This is what they call the dark ages, because we and one of the qualities of this time is that the true the real light is hidden so deeply it's so covered and the other things masquerade as the light like that stuff you know first of all i have no problem with jesus i love jesus praise the lord i love jesus i do not love christianity and neither do jesus he had nothing to do with that shit if i'm not mistaken he was already dead 100 years before anybody started doing anything. So how did this happen? People with ideas, with desires, created all that nonsense. He didn't start a religion. He was trying to clean up the old shit that was hanging around. So those feelings are very... It's good to see them, and it's good to see how much of a hold they have on us and how much of our lives are propelled by our sense of shame and guilt and fear and belief that we're no good, right? It's really... So when you sit down and watch your breath or do some chanting, there's just you there. There's nobody else. Just you. You see. Then you begin to see all the things you unconsciously believe about yourself. That's when you have a chance to start letting go of that stuff. It's not easy because it's deep. Because it's not just us, it's our parents, their parents, their parents. Everybody we've ever known believes in the same stuff. Not so many people have come through that, that say, hey, it's okay in there, don't worry so much, what's the matter? Right? Not so many people, they all say, oh, mm, be careful. And we, are, we just unconsciously accept all that. And none of it's true. Not one thing about it is true. Nothing. You're not evil. You're not bad. You don't need to be saved. But only Jesus can save you. Because he's the whole universe. He's Krishna. He's Ram. He's everybody. They're all the same. Only that light, your own inner light, can save you. Because that's clear and clean and completely free of all that nonsense. That comes from the outside. So when you sit and, and do practice, it's just you in there. There's nobody else in there. And you begin to see all the stuff that's that's hanging off of you, right? You just slice it off, you know. But it comes back. Cut it again, it comes back. You have to practice. They call it practice for a good reason. It's not easy to get used to being happy. It is not easy. It's like scary. You wake up and you're happy and you go, I must have done something wrong. <laughs> I'm happy. It's crazy. We get, we're used to living in a very low-frequency, low-energy field, cranky, miserable, moping around, groping for food and sex and stuff. We forget. It's all in there. It doesn't have to be so... New York, like. <laughs> Everywhere I go, people say, "Oh, you're from New York, right?" <laughs> so, and if you, all the great saints say the same thing. Jesus said the same thing. Read what Jesus. And okay, here we go. I've gotten started. I'm just going, and then I'm stopping. I read a book a, written by a guy. Uh, I can't remember the name right now. He had been brought up, brought up as a born-again Christian. As from, you know, he grew up that way. <clears throat> and he loved the Bible so much that as a teenager, he started to study Aramaic, which was the original language that all that stuff was in, because he really wanted to know what was in the Bible, because it, what the born-again Christians believe is that if God said it, that's the way it is, right? And they say everything in the Bible is what God said, and that's the way it is. That's what they believe. So, he said, well, let me, let me really study this. So, he became one of the leading scholars of language and Aramaic in the world. And he found, and this I swear this is true, he found that only 3% of what is in today's Bible can be traced linguistically to the time of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. of what is in what we call at least the New Testament can linguistically be proven to come from the time of Jesus. That other 97%, God knows where it came from. (laughs) So what are these people believing, right? It's a very interesting question some really cool stuff being done. There's some really... There's a book. What? Anyway, but so you got... the Bottom line is, it's just you in there, right? See what's screwing you up and let go. Don't believe any of that shit. You're not bad. Tell him I said so. <laughs> Don't tell him where I live, please. <laughs> <laughs> and my guru is the same way. You know, he... he He knew everything, okay? I'm going to say that again. He knew everything. Certainly everything about me and everybody else that was there. He knew what we had done, what we were thinking about doing, and what we were going to do. He knew what was going to happen in our lives. He knew all the bad, miserable, hurtful things we've done to others and ourselves, and guess what? He loved us insanely, sweetly, unconditionally, just as we are. He didn't make a deal with us. If you change, he'll love us, right? Uh Uh-uh. He loved us right at that moment, completely, knowing everything we've ever done, knowing everything we thought about ourselves. Also, that was was hard to take. Really, it was hard to... you know, you say, Oh, I wish I was with the guru. Bullshit. You think it's easy to sit in front of that? Can you go out and sit in front of the sun all day like this? You know? You get fried. And that's what it was like 90% of the time frying in that love, in that intensity. And then just when you thought you couldn't take one second more, boom, he hits you in the heart with a banana from 50 feet away. <laughs> and he looks and he goes, ah! And all of a sudden the world is good again until you pull yourself out of it with your own crap over and over, over and over and over. So we began to understand a little bit, to experience what it felt like not to be ruled by the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, which we automatically believe, every single one of them. You know, you wake up in the morning and you say, "Ah, I feel like shit today. You never ask yourself, why do I feel like shit? Or why do I believe I feel like shit? We just, it's there, we think it, we believe it. So only through practice do you slow down enough to see what's actually going on. And once you see it, then you can let go and come back. And when that mantra is going on, when the names are going on, when your practice deepens, you might get pulled by that thought for a little while and then, boop, you pop back a lot faster. And spending, Instead of spending the next 47 lifetimes feeling like that, you just spend the next three lifetimes feeling like that. It's a big difference. So instead of some very heavy negative depression lasting, you know, years and months, and so, it just lasts a little while and then it goes away because you're trained to automatically let go. But you don't necessarily feel that at the moment, you see? You're just letting go. People say to me all the time, oh, what do you experience when you're chanting? I say, I don't know. How would I know? (laughs) You're asking me? I have no idea what I am. just singing. I'm not thinking about what I'm experiencing. Something happens, it comes, it goes. I'm just singing. My job is to be with that chant 100%. And if I'm 100%? Stuff goes through like Chinese food. Like like Indian food, really. Much faster than Chinese food. They stopped using MSG, so it doesn't go through as fast. And when it goes through, you're not hanging on to it. You're just with this feeling of being here. And the stuff, it's like you become the sky. And the clouds are going through. It doesn't seem to affect you so much. So you're moving more deeply into yourself. You're relaxing more deeply into being here.
0: Thank you for listening to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd and clicking on the donate button or using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste.